0: Hey, welcome back on this Tuesday morning with your uh, COVID nineteen update. I want to take some time today to to talk about really two separate matters. First of all, the the economic and the market impacts on this this crisis, this pandemic, um, as well as you know. Before I even get to that, I think because I have to to talk about something before I get to that, talk about you know some some prediction, some modeling out of the Imperial College in London. Sort of modeling how long this is going to last, and it's it's maybe not exactly what you want to hear if you're looking for for a super positive uh, this will be over in a couple weeks uh I'm sure there's plenty of sources out there but but that's certainly not probably the case and and I think people are starting to realize that as we start to see recommendations like from the cDC avoiding groups of a fifty or greater for uh, for eight weeks, people realize that uh, well that's that's more than a week or two so uh, there's there's those sources there's those voices out there if you want to listen to those. Um, with that being said, this isn't me necessarily trying to push doom and gloom, nor is it me uh, panicking. right I swear I'm not panicking. everybody calm down i'm not panic okay I'm not panicking about any of this. if anything i'm trying to to inform you. Um, I myself am trying to stay informed because I know that me personally <clears throat> i 'm not the the type to panic, but I do want to be mentally prepared and, and prepared in other ways for you know what ultimately is going to to come around the bend um, with that being said, I know that that 's not always possible and and fortunately for me, you know I can say wholeheartedly that that though um, yeah sometimes these things concern me it 's certainly going to be a a huge change in my life. Right in my lifetime, the only two events I can compare to what's happening right now would be uh, 9/11, when I was six years old, and the financial crisis. And and you guys can do the math on how old I was then, right? That um, that didn't impact my life. Uh, I wasn't quite old enough to fully realize the consequences and the scale of, of what's going on uh, right now. Um, and, and so, with that being said, you know, this is this is. Big, and it's, it's you know, something that I'm maybe concerned about. But as always, I'm trying to find my, my, my hope, my, uh, I guess, my future in, in my Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, when when, it, when I can boil it down to that and say that, hey, look, uh, Christians have been on this earth for a long time. Um, not, not a day has passed by that it's been outside of God's control, outside of his plan, outside of what he kind of knows is going to happen in this uh, this, I guess, sin-stained world. I mean, this type of stuff has happened before. Not to get all end timesy on you, but but it's you know written in the book that I mean, these types of things are are going to to happen um, potentially, or uh, well, almost certainly, certainly before uh, you know the second coming. But but even outside of that, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of, of Christians back in you know 1918, 1920 that were thinking, you know, this is this is it because hey, World War One had just happened, something that was unlike anything that had been seen before. Uh, and then, of course, right after that, they had the Spanish flu, right? And there's been plenty of other cases like that over the last, you know, roughly 2,000 years. Hard to say that if this is it or not. But regardless, I mean, that's where my my hope is found, and I'd encourage you to, to to find the hope in the same spot. You know, I'm not trying to go after people in their most vulnerable state, their most fearful state. Um, but but I know that those people are going to be out there looking for for answers, looking for for comfort, and and. Well, I can I can tell you one thing that that you probably won't be able to find that comfort in, in government, in media, in entertainment, um, things of that nature. Uh, and certainly, never to the level that that can be offered through through again my uh, my savior Jesus Christ. But anyways, um, get into the main topics of of today. And again, before I get to the financial financial topics, before I to look at the long term impacts of this. I just quick recap as far as what's happened since uh since yesterday. Since it recorded yesterday. First of all, on the market side of things, uh the stock market, the Dow Jones, had one of its worst days on record. Percentage wise, its third worst day. Right? Third only to uh the crash in nineteen eighty seven, which is number one, and number two was a the crash in, in nineteen twenty nine. Um prior to the Great Depression, right? Uh, so this is a, I mean, to, to say this is momentous is maybe a bit of an understatement. Again, I said it several weeks ago, and I, I'm trying not to be prideful about it, but defining an event of our generation, I think, should should be a term that we can use to describe something like this, this COVID-19 pandemic. It's not an outbreak anymore. Um, as we're coming up on to today, by the way, it was almost 3,000 points, I think, in the the S&P 500, as we're coming up on uh, today's open, actually, we're about 13 minutes from the uh, the open, I'm recording this 8.17 right now, central time, um, you know, the Dow futures are looking like they could be positive, uh, but it's, you know, it's not sort of a, it's, it's been a weird where they, they limited up and then they gave back some of those gains and, and now they uh, they came pretty close to limiting it up again right now, the Dow is is implied to have an open of of about 0.69% to the upside. Now, why is that the case? Well, what's changed since last night? Uh, A big part of it has been the White House unveiling a a huge uh, support program, a huge bailout, stimulus program, whatever you want to call it, uh, to the tune of $850 billion, including, um, if you hear a bit of a a whirring sound off in the distance, uh, that's a helicopter, including helicopter money, um, potentially checks every household in the country, right? Um, that's a. Uh, this was coming. We, we all knew this was coming. It's certainly, maybe in the last week or two, we knew this was coming in relation to COVID 19 months and years ago we knew this was coming in relation to the next economic downturn um, but 850 billion dollars it's now been sort of given the approval by former new york fed uh, president bill dudley as, as your hitch pointed out his praise for it but but again this this idea that early on the trump administration was saying well let's do a, a payroll tax holiday let's cut payroll tax or move it all together which a lot of people replied to with Dude, I mean, part of the problem is here, here is that people aren't working. That doesn't make sense, right? You're only going to be helping the people that are getting hurt the least by this, right? By cutting their taxes. And there's no guarantee that they're just going to give it to all their, their bodies that are out of work. Um, and so they sort of change that strategy to some sort of potentially check to each household. Um, we'll see. You know, $1,000 a household. Or, you know, more accurately, I could see it mirroring what we had back during the Obama uh, presidency, where it was, you know, an X amount per adult in a household, and then a smaller amount per child per dependent. Um, but in addition to that, uh, you're going to see things like uh, bailouts for the airline industry, hopefully, um, no major bailouts to uh, to some of these other companies that have been discussed, such as Boeing, um, which have, have kind of really used and abused these low interest rates as cheap debt to buy back their own uh, stock, really lining the pockets of stockholders, executives, etc., only to now say that they need a bailout. Hopefully, it's not the case, but I suspect it will be. Uh, we'll see where all this is going, right? This is still uh, going to have to move through the Senate. still going to have to go, kind of go through the, the House and whatnot. I mean, this is still a bill. This isn't an executive order. But, you know, here we are on Tuesday. We'll, we'll see how long it takes to pass, right? Markets, you know, like the China trade jail, if you guys remember that, and then so many other things, uh, the, the Trump tax package, tax cuts, and everything. This is potentially going to be the only thing the markets watch for a while, but, but this is also not normal times. Uh, the markets have, have many other things to, to keep their eyes on, I guess. Uh, U.S. retail sales tumble in February. Again, to quote this EuroHedge article, uh, in, uh, in February, 0.5% uh, month-over-month decline. Worst decline since December 2018. I'll remind you, December 2018 was when the stock market was sort of crashing all around everyone, and and they just weren't going to spend as much money on Christmas and whatnot because of that. Uh, but this was February in the United States. I don't think behavior modification really had gone into play. You know, to some extent for maybe some purchases for some you know consumer goods and whatnot. Um, but but it'll be interesting to see what the month over month decline is going to be for. Uh, for March. It's, it, and it's going to be massive. It's not going to be 0.5%. right? It's going to be much, much larger than that. It's going to be in line with what we've seen out of China. Um, but already, you know, it, it doesn't bode well that the February data is still not that great. I mean, think back here in the United States, unless you're maybe in, in Seattle, maybe California, maybe New York, or maybe if you were just prepped on this or, or just you know really preparing and, and hunkering down, I'm going to guess that most of you you know, if we're looking over two weeks ago, you hadn't really modified your behavior that much. I know I hadn't, even though I knew this was kind of going on. I knew that, you know, my, meh, my odds of getting infected are relatively low, you know, as far as eating out, eating in public, you know, that was a case until actually not all that long ago, right? That, that we've really made a point of just hunkering down for a while. Uh, so February, dad is already looking poor, um, but, but it's only going to get worse, uh additionally, uh US deaths um, from the COVID nineteen uh move up to I think it was eighty five was a number. That's I mean obviously gonna be moving target constantly, as is the number of cases, which has topped four thousand. Uh number of cases outside of China has topped one hundred thousand in the last twenty four hours. So again, these are confirmed cases. It's just a small fraction of the actual cases. And and you know it's it's um a lot of the same culprits that are um, accounting for the majority of this increase uh, Italy uh, which continues to, to really show it's not under great control improving maybe but but at the cost of major major lockdown nationwide lockdown and quarantine basically uh, with, with few exceptions Iran uh, Spain uh, you know South Korea again has things under control uh, Germany France the United States all, Big contributors to that, and then right below that, there's a whole bunch of countries that lower in population but are still a thousand plus, and, and are you know on their path to being you know as far as per one hundred people the number that are infected, on their path to looking like uh, Spain, Germany, France, U.S., Italy, um, including uh, Switzerland, Netherlands, the U.K., Norway, Belgium, Sweden, Austria, Denmark shy of a thousand. Um, Japan just uh, shy of a thousand. Um, some other ones. Malaysia has been increasing at a pretty good clip lately. And by good, I mean not a good clip at all. And uh, that's something that I I think it's you know in a country like Malaysia, it's been there for a very long time. It's just now that they're maybe testing for it a little bit more. Um, Singapore is showing a bit more of an increase lately, but but certainly not nothing. Maybe exponential at this point. Uh, I go down the list, you know, there's a lot of other countries that are on this list, you know, to list a few countries like Pakistan, Thailand, Indonesia, uh, Egypt, um, you know, the Philippines, India, you know, a whole, whole host of countries that just don't have the infrastructure to to test, and and therefore we can't really trust the data, but but it's moving up. We know it's there probably in pretty large numbers, and, and it's, you know, based on their climate, based on their own individual healthcare system, culture, etc., actions being taken as far as social distancing. It'll be interesting to see how it um, how it impacts them relative to how it impacted China, Italy, South Korea, etc. Uh, it's hard to say. Is it going to look something similar to what's happening in Iran? I, I fear that that may be the case in a lot of these poorer countries with really poor uh, healthcare infrastructure, right? really poor number of beds per thousand people, etc. So, but we'll see. We'll see. We can hold out hope. Uh, but but speaking of which, I want to move to maybe the most important part of today's podcast, and that is a a paper that was put out by the Imperial College of of London. Um, you know, the, these guys in many ways have been on top of this outbreak from the beginning. You know, one one of their more notable I guess scholars there was this Neil Ferguson, who. Uh, who who predicted early on, you know, these what some people thought was alarmist that that a, I can't remember the number sixty to ninety percent of people would would contract it. I don't remember the exact numbers, but but he put out these numbers out there, and people said that's alarmist, and now people are realizing, you know, so it's become more, a bit more of a, a mainstream idea. Well, anyways, what they're looking at here is the the effect of what they call MPI, non pharmaceutical interventions to reduce the, the title of this, and I'll leave the link to this because I think this is important, Impact of Non-Pharmaceutical Interventions, NPIs, to Reduce COVID-19 Mortality and Healthcare Demand. So by, by NPIs, what they mean primarily uh, is is mitigation, containment, quarantine, things of that nature, social distancing. Um, I think the terms I give to it are suppression and mitigation. Um, but, but basically the idea behind this is... Uh, Changing behavior to to flatten the curve, right? And and so what they have actually on their on this thing is is looking at you know if we're talking at some point in you know March or or April that that we're going to put all these things in place in terms of of uh, case isolation, case isolation and household quarantine, closing schools and universities, case isolation, home quarantine, social distancing of seventy year olds. and and greater, you know, looking at all those things, or the over 70s, looking at all those things and how they impact the curve. And, and along this same chart, they'll show the, what they call surge critical care bed capacity, you know, so whenever the number of, of uh, critical care beds the demand is greater than their If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com weightloss weight loss plushcarecom slash weight loss Capacity, extra people are going to die, you know, than um, than is necessary. So the whole goal behind this is to keep that below that threshold. And 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 basically, what you can see here is that by doing all those things individually, it's nowhere near enough to to suppress this. Um, ideally, what they show is that to to have this under good control, you're going to need to do. Um, Preferably school and university closure, if possible. But, but again, that's been up in the air because, because you're really taken away from the healthcare system when that's the case, especially, um, I, I guess I think of it in two different ways. First of all, you may be impacting the, the future of healthcare workers coming onto the field in the next year, which may be very important. I'm talking new nurse grads, new med students, et cetera doctors ultimately, um, by closing the university, but but schools, uh, high schools, elementary schools and stuff, you're taking away nurses, doctors, et cetera, that now have to stay home at home with their kids or, or something along those lines, daycare. But anyways, they look at, you know, if, if you combine case isolation, household quarantine, general social distancing, then you can bring down the number of cases much faster than if you do any of those things just individually, sort of a no-brainer here. But, but the key takeaway from this is that if, if in this scenario, you, you do this for about three months, bring all those things down, um, you, you can once again get the number of, you know, the demand for critical care beds below the threshold, below the, the capacity. Um, but within a couple months, a month or two after that, and once you take off these restrictions, the cases spike back up again. And it and it looks different based on what you did. If prior to this second spike, this resurgence, you you know, took actions that allowed a greater number of people to be infected, you know, the second spike is actually not as as big because of this level of I don't know if herd immunity, but at least a large amount of people that are infected, right? Herd immunity I think has to deal more with the spread. So maybe that's an accurate term, but also just the, the idea that there's lots people to be infected. That's going to slow down the spread, but also slow down the amount of people that actually are sick, because a lot of them got sick before, right? If you took much, much more drastic measures the first time around, the second spike is going to be worse. Now, that's assuming that the second spike is not mitigated with the very same techniques that were used to slow down the first spread, And you kind of see where this is going, but the takeaway from this is that we're talking about a three-month process, a three-month of of making these changes to your life, making these changes to society. And once that three months is over, there's a pretty good potential that things are going to spike back up again. Now, that's not a certainty. Not at all a certainty. Because potentially, depending on what country, what region, which city, state, etc., you can put in practices like tracing cases, and, and contact tracing, and, and greater levels of quarantine, etc., to maybe entirely eliminate eliminate it in a given region or town in those three months. That's real possibility. Um, would be difficult, though, in some places. I'm thinking places like New York City or San Francisco or Seattle. Uh, additionally, you also have the risk of cases being imported. I have low... Confidence that some of these countries in South America or Africa or Southeast Asia are going to do as good of a job mitigating the spread—we'll see. But certainly, tracing the context. and so then there's always the possibility for reintroduction from another city, another town, another state, or another country. And and what you get after that eventually is that spike back up again, just like we've had this ramp up from from mid January till now. Same thing happened; it would happen again, and once again those same. Techniques to mitigate the spread would have to be put into place. And so that's sort of the, the gist of this article. The gist of this, this analysis is that this may become the norm, this idea of, of case isolation, of home quarantine, of social distancing, especially for the elderly, but really across population, potentially school and university closures, periodically to suppress or mitigate the spread until, well one of maybe three things happened. It burns itself out in the population. Everyone gains some level of immunity, which is not a sure thing. There's some evidence actually with past coronaviruses that that immunity goes away after some period of time, maybe not unlike the flu, maybe because it's mutation, maybe it's because I I don't know all the details to it. Um, There's the possibility for mutation to a less transmissible or less lethal bug. That's a real possibility. Um, and then, of course, there's a possibility for some therapeutic treatment that is going to significantly change the, the outcome of a lot of these cases or a vaccine, right? But we're still many, many months away from that. And so why am I talking about this? The reason I'm bringing all this up is, is because of how it relates to, first of all, us as individuals, as a society, uh, really driving home the point that this is not, as, as Michael Osterholm um, renowned epidemiologist from my home state Minnesota. I think I was talking about him recently. You know, recently speaking in my hometown Duluth. This isn't a Minnesota blizzard, uh, though. That's how many people are preparing for it. It's more so a Minnesota winter, which is a pretty long process. You know, we're we're still in the grips of winter right now here in northern Minnesota, and, and we started back in, in November, maybe October, right? <laughs> Depending on, on how you you count it. Uh, so. This is going to be a long drawn out process, and once we do ultimately sort of come out of hiding, right, uh, we we run the risk of those cases going back up again, unless of course we have an, an intervention, a vaccine, uh, a, a really effective therapeutic drug, something along those lines. Um, so I'm just, I guess, first of all, I think it's good to to have that idea in your head from the beginning to to be prepared for that, you know, financially. Um, physically but also mentally emotionally prepared for that type of a a uh, process here that we could be looking at potentially uh but but second of all there's also the economic impact of this i think this is this is important for for the markets for market participants to understand that this is again not going to be a a v-shaped recovery as some people would call it the idea that that uh Demand is going to plummet over like a couple of weeks, and then it's going to to return to normal levels after that. Um, first of all, we're we're probably not looking at a couple weeks here in a lot of this stuff. People are going to alter their their behaviors significantly. Even once they do, you know, quote unquote, come out of hiding. Once this this lockdown is, is alleviated to some extent, uh, they're going to change their behaviors. They're not going to be as quick to you know splurge on on consumer goods that could be considered non essential, you know, discretionary spending. Um, but then there's also the potential that this goes on for a couple more than a couple weeks, maybe 8 weeks, 6 weeks, you know, 2 3 months we, we could see we'll, we'll see and then and then there is always the risk that after that it well, we we deal with the same thing all over again. This this slowdown of of the economy because everyone has to to go back into hiding because of you know, we it's, it's reappeared, it's reemerged and we're still waiting for a vaccine, waiting for a drug, right? And this is sort of, I mean, this is, I don't want to say worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is that it comes back next time and it's worse, it's mutated and it kills a much higher percentage of the population, but uh, not unlike the Spanish flu uh, apparently did. Um, but it's, it's certainly, we're assuming that between now and the next you know, three to six months, we don't have a good vaccine A good therapeutic drug, and we could. Uh, But but those types of things, still, you know, when we're talking about a a population the size of basically the world, but at least the United States, or at least the Western world, uh, scaling the production of that up, uh, that's going to take a long time, a long time to deliver it, to deliver those vaccinations. And I know, I mean, inevitably, I'm going to have maybe a comment. Somebody will say something along the lines of, you know, this is a a new world order plot to, to vaccinate everyone and uh <laughs> whatever um i i get that but but i don't um because first of all i think vaccinations uh have been pretty beneficial to mankind not that we shouldn't question those types of things i'm open to skepticism absolutely uh but but in this case i think it's a again a bit of a no-brainer and and just from a, a simple you know scientific a- aspect i mean this isn't not everything has to be a new world order plot to, to to whatever you know vaccinate the world um but but eventually those types of uh, things hopefully will come around um uh, but but I'm not betting on it right you know unlike maybe on c n b c you'll the mainstream media you'll you'll constantly hear this over the coming months of such and such drugs such and such vaccine being right around the corner and it's i don't want to say wishful thinking um uh, but but especially on things like c n b c it is I think, going to be worded in such a way to, to create sort of a pump and dump situation, if you will, uh, um, to cause the markets to rally constantly on hope of such and such thing that may never amount or maybe several several months away. But I've already seen this out of a lot of CNBC hosts, this idea that it's just kind of this constant, it's not a hope, it's kind of a constant um, optimism because because they're scared out of their wits because of what's been happening in the markets, right? And, and they don't know how to, to comprehend that, right? Um, they, they've been telling their their listeners, their, their viewers for, for years to, to buy and hold, buy and hold, buy and hold. And well, guess what? I mean, their viewers are are negative over the last couple of years now, right? We're seeing the stock market in the range of, of 20, you know, getting close to 20,000. Um, and when you count for inflation, you know, probably less than that. Right? So, uh, by the way, up 100 as I'm recording right now. But still not a huge move to the upside. right? Um, stocks at 20,294. We're talking the Dow Jones, obviously. And and if you look over the last you know five years, I mean, that's where the stock market was um, back in, I think, early 2017, right? When it finally passed you know, 20,000. And so, when again, when you count for inflation, it's basically flat since 2017 i mean that buy and hold strategy over the last three years has failed especially if you've been buying along the way because you've lost in all those so there's going to be people that that this hope but it's but it's not going to be sort of a hope that like um this will eventually get better i have that hope type of thing it's going to be every straw to grasp at they will be you know every potential way out of of having to deal with a market that doesn't go up every single day or every single week, or having to deal with an economy that actually contracts, they'll have to deal with that reality. So, so what's the outcome of this? Well, again, uh, the, the, the economy and the markets were set up in, in maybe their worst possible position for something like this. Crazy high valuations, crazy high leverage, debt, credit. Um, the Fed was still in relatively easy monetary policy had already started the printing presses. And this is only going to to send us... I mean, because we're in that situation, it's only going to be even worse. It's going to be even more apparent, this bubble popping. And and I, I mean, it's a recession. It, maybe we should start using the, the D word, depression. Maybe we should start throwing that around based on how long this lasts, but also the depth of this because of the way it's going to impact behaviors, be, impact spending, consumption. And I don't, I'm not convinced the fiscal policy plan from the U.S. government is going to fix this either, even if it's $850 billion. Um, It's going to maybe, on the surface, soften the blow. But I'll tell you one thing's for sure. Uh, The actions that the Fed and the U.S. government are taking right now, which they're going to deem as necessary. Maybe some of you guys will deem as necessary. Many people deemed it as necessary during the financial crisis, right? Too big to fail. Uh, They are going to be acts that the rest of us are, are going to pay for in the future, right? Just like we, we will and, and to some extent have paid for the acts during the, the Great Recession, zero interest rate policy for, for many, many years, QE123, uh, the the massive TARP bailouts and other stimulus packages and whatnot. Uh, it's going to be a similar situation this time around. We're going to pay for that. It's only that now in, in 2020, uh, things have progressed much, much to a much worse position than they were in 2008 or 2009. Inflation, the risk of inflation is much, much higher. High inflation, I'm talking here in the United States, but but honestly, the world over, and the eurozone could could fall apart because of this. Uh, we're we're at much higher risk of of you know this everything bubble really popping. You know that's one of the things that's been thrown around is that you know the, the everything bubble is popping, and and I get it to some extent. That's true, but but the one exception that that hasn't been popping yet actually has been the biggest part of the everything bubble, and that is uh, government debt, especially the United States government debt. Um, that bubble has has not been popping thus far, uh, and once that pops, that's going to be that's going to be the end, right? Um, and so, when when you see the government floating out eight hundred fifty billion dollars of stimulus, you can already. See that, that they're going to be taking in less money through taxes, you know that the, the bill for this is going to be massive. The Fed has already signaled that they're willing to pay that bill, right? They're already monetizing hundreds of billions of dollars of debt, and they're going to continue to do so. It's Jerome Powell's whatever it takes moment, a little more dramatic than Mario Draghi's, but but, well, um, that's that's what he's faced with, and and they're going to monetize that, but but you can't monetize debt forever. Right. We've known that this was ultimately going to happen. We didn't know it was going to happen because of a pandemic. But th- that's the catalyst, right? That's the pin that's pricking the massive bubble. And, and at some point, you have to ask yourself, what's the problem here? Is it the pin or is it the bubble? I think there's going to be some economies, a few, but there's going to be some economies that fare relatively well. This is going to be the end of the world type moment for, for their investors and whatnot. Um, Russia. Russia, I think, is going to fare fairly well. Um, you know, maybe some some emerging economies are used to this volatility. I think they'll they'll be fine, right? They've been dealing with this for a long time here in the United States and much of the West, Western Europe, Canada, Australia, Japan, South Korea. I mean, this is a this can be a a departure from the norm. It's going to be, I think, psychologically a double whammy of of the social changes because of the COVID nineteen virus, but also the the economic and, and the financial changes because of a potentially a very drawn out bear market and a major recession or potentially depression that could extend far beyond the, the resolution of this COVID-19 problem. So as always, uh, I'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast. Stay tuned for tomorrow's. Uh, I, I appreciate every one of you sort of following along with me on this, this path. Uh, as crazy as it is, as I said at the beginning, I know where my hope is found. Um, certainly a good, good idea to start asking for every one of you, start asking yourselves, where's your hope found? Uh, as always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in, and God bless.